Greetings with lovers everywhere. I'm E-Train and welcome to E-Train Talks. I'm a 12-year-old literacy advocate, podcast host, giving Tuesday Spark Leader. And today is an incredibly special day for me personally. And I know for everyone tuning in as well. It's special because today I'm bringing you a one-of-a-kind chat with an amazing middle grade author, a storyteller of remarkable and memorable stories. From fantasy to realistic fiction to mystery and everything in between, this is my chat with the creator of over 40 books written for children and young people, the award-winning author, Stacey McAnulty. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> well, it is such a treat to have you on today, and I've loved your writing for many, many years. I mean, I say many, many because it's pro- probably like a quarter of my life I've been reading your stories. Oh, nice. <laughs> I mean, I'm 12, so it isn't really, it's not really saying much, but yeah. <laughs> when you so, say it in fractions, it still sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's first talk about your newest story, The Ever's Forever 12. The idea of living forever is a captivating topic that many have fantasized about throughout the ages. And however, from reading your new story, we discover that there can be many downsides to living forever. We find out that it can be a gift, but a curse at the same time. So prior to writing your story, had you been someone who dreamt about living forever? And after researching and writing your intriguing story, do you feel any differently about the topic? Uh, um, yeah, it's. I can't say I've ever dreamed about living forever on Earth. Um, that would that that would be a lot. I mean, some days can be very long, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, I can't say I've ever actually fantasized about it, but I've thought about it. And I've thought about kind of the the lore that we've heard. Um, often they are associated with vampires and, and, and different kinds of monsters, that idea of being here for a long time. I guess the part that really excites me is um, the idea that if you live for a very long time, if you're around for a very long time, you could get really good at things. Uh, you could have lots of time to practice, lots of time to read, lots of time to study, and just become remarkable in certain ways. And I think that's what I really kind of latched on to, because of course, in the book, the kids are 12. And, you know, they haven't been around that long, as you've, as you've mentioned about yourself. Um, so, you know, if you have these um, people that look 12, but are actually 200, 300 years old, imagine what they're capable of. And right. um, they can come across as normal looking tweens, but they they really have this history and this advantage that no other human on earth would have. Yeah. And I think what really excites me is the idea of not aging really, but still living forever. Right. Although being 12 can have disadvantages, even if you know everything, because people don't. Absolutely. Because that's what, like, if you think about what age you'd want to be stuck in your body, like what age you'd want to be stuck at for Mm -hmm. um, forever. I don't think anybody would pick 12. (laughs) No, maybe 29 or something. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people underestimate 12 year olds. And that's kind of the problem if you want to live forever at that age. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that um, I try to touch on a little bit with with the book, too, that we underestimate um, kids often. And so it's fun to explore that side of it as well. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So you introduce two strong and intelligent main characters, Ivy and Ronan, and they both get accepted into the prestigious West Archer Academy. It's a school for the gifted. And Ivy, however, She's super duper smart, but she has a constant feeling of guilt inside of her 
and struggles with her emotions before and after taking the entrance exam. All the answers were already written for her on her card. So in a sense, she cheated, even though she knew all the answers. So I feel like this deep secret really adds a lot of emotion and helps set the stage for a really compelling storyline. So why and how did you come up with such a complete theme for the story of guilt on top of everything that Ivy learns about her newfound friends? Right. So yeah, so Ivy is our... um... It is not an ever. She is not for forever twelve. Right. So she's gonna she's gotta legitimately get into this school and she takes the entrance exam. And that like you said, the answers are provided for her. She doesn't ask for them. She doesn't look at the person next to her and cheat. But is it still cheating? You know, if you don't come forward and say, Hey, I have an advantage. I like those um those kind of questions in my writing where it's not clearly black and white. I have those fun conversations with my own children you know, is this right? Is this wrong? And, and we, we like to explore those, those gray areas. So I think it's an interesting twist to the book. And of course you've read it. So, you know, there's, it plays a role to the plot, like the reason for, for the cheating, um, later on, then it hangs over her head. So it's, um, multifaceted. I feel like that part that that scene has always been there this book got revised probably more than any book I've ever written it's the first time I've done a fantasy it's the first time I've done mystery but that is one of the scenes that was always there I kind of always knew knew I needed um Ivy to not feel adequate um in going to the school because of the other kids that are that are evers and um because she didn't get in she probably would have gotten in on her own merit but she did not so it's always gonna weigh on her so that's something that's always been in the book and um from from one of the early drafts absolutely and it really did drive the plot in a really interesting way and i like what you said about how a lot of your writing doesn't have gray areas because we can now transition to millionaires for the month another story of yours that i read And so to kind of sum it up, it's a really intriguing concept. So basically, you have your two protagonists, Felix and Benji, and they end up having a penny doubled every day, which amasses $5,368,709.12 in total for them to spend. This is all after they find and spend $20 from a billionaire's lost wallet. And like you said, there's always the idea of right and wrong. They were like, it's just $20. Maybe it's not that bad. So I don't want to talk for too long because we got to get to the we got to get to the actual question, but their reward or I guess punishment, you could also think of it like that, is that they have to spend all the money that they are given in one month. So that seems easy, right? But it's not. So how did you come up with this awesome storyline and what made you decide to include the message that in a sense money isn't everything. It's really complicated. Yeah. Um, this idea, the idea for this book came from a silly dinner conversation with my family. We were, um, driving into town. We were going to PF Chang's. And as we were driving in, we had the billboards up, uh, along the highway that were for Mega Millions and Powerball, the lotteries. Mm-hmm. And if you had won, um, either one of those, they're worth half a billion each. So 500 million each. And if you'd won them both, you'd be a billionaire. So my kids loved talking about that wild idea, that idea of having all this money and how they would spend it. 
strangely, my, my children thought they'd be able to quit school. I've told them that, you know, even, even billionaires, kids go to schools, fancy schools, but they would still have to go to school. Um, so, but we went all the way in the highway, like 30 minutes on the highway, get to P.F. Chang's, we're eating fried rice, we're, you know, ordering, eating, paying our bill. They're still talking about money and how they would spend the money. And I realized there was something there. There was that, that idea um, for kids, they find it intriguing because, you know, tweens aren't often in charge of finance. They don't get to make a lot of decisions. Maybe you get money for your birthday and, and things like that, that you get to spend. But, you know, overall finances are not um, something given to children. Yeah. So I loved the idea that these kids were in charge and making all the decisions. And as you mentioned, it is not a reward. It's a challenge. There's a ton of of rules that they have to follow. If they successfully spend all the money, they will get $10 million free and clear. Um, the other thing, the um, the other part of the question was, you know, why, why did I like the idea of looking at what money can't buy? Um, and I think back to Steve Jobs, which of course the, the founder, one of the founders, co-founders, creator of Apple. So guy's a billionaire, right? He has mm -hmm. all the money in the world. He has cancer. And I can't remember what kind of cancer at this point, but he has cancer and he has access to everything. All, you know, he could buy anything. He can get the best scientist, best whatever. And still, and the cancer ends up taking his life. He, that's what he dies from in, in a, at a relatively young age. And I just remember that moment for me being kind of like, you know, even, you know, this, this guy's got everything, but he doesn't. And I just really like that idea. So we play with that with the boys, with the, um, you know, things that they can't buy, even if they have access to all this money. I just think it's, again, what these interesting questions, um, these interesting things to talk about around the family table, like what can you buy? What would you buy? What can't you buy? I love those questions. Yeah. And it really made for an awesome plot. And now moving to the the miscalculations of Lightning Girl. I like long oh. titles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. My tongue sometimes doesn't. A bit of a tongue twister, but regardless, it's an amazing story. I read it during COVID, and I just loved it. So for those tuning in who've yet to read this amazing novel, it's the story of Lucy and how she deals with her gifts, her OCD, and the ins and outs of life as a middle schooler. So she was struck by lightning at eight years old, and that made her a math genius. And that might make you think that being a math whiz, is she would just have everything. She could do anything. But life isn't always easy for gifted kids, especially in, of course, middle school. So did you research any other examples of lightning strikes altering the way people's brains work? Are there any other examples of that actually happening? Is that kind of the foundation of miscalculations of Lightning Girl's research? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's very interesting, isn't it, right? Just to mm -hmm. think about that in the real, real world. Um, I, to to write this book, I had originally heard a story about someone who has, they call it acquired savant syndrome. So they have a head injury and they become a savant. Mm -hmm. And it was an adult and it wasn't a lightning strike. He was, he was mugged and I believe he was either He's punched in the head, but he also falls and hits his head on the sidewalk after he recovers from his concussion. He's a math genius. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started looking up acquired savant syndrome and different and other savant savant syndromes. And these are real things. There are 
people that have head injuries and become brilliant in different areas. And the areas in general are math, which is my favorite. I'm a former engineer. I love math. Um, so the, you have the area of math, music. So those would be people that would just start playing the piano without ever taking a lesson. They can't necessarily read music, but just uh, the mechanics of it and hearing it, they're able to, to play music. Um, art. So people that are fantastic artists, again, without any training, they could look at like a skyscape of New York City and then paint it perfectly and have like all everything proportioned right and in the right um, area. And then the final one is a foreign language. So someone might hear it could be something like Spanish a couple of times and they're speaking Spanish or even a language that's even more foreign and not perhaps related to the their native language like English. Like if we went and heard Icelandic or something and then after a week we could be speaking Icelandic. So these things really do happen um, and they're, they research it. So I was just blown away by this idea that you could have some kind of head injury and then um, be be brilliant. Now, results are not guaranteed. I'm not advocating for anyone to get struck <laughs> by lightning or, or pound themselves in the head. It's very, very rare. Um, and that, the reason why they study it is basically it's a it's a neuroscience. You know, imagine if we could go in with like a nano computer or nano robot and like burn part of our brain, just kill off a little tiny bit of our brain and it would make another part of our brain light up and be awesome. That's why they study it. They don't know why it happens. Uh, it's most often happens in adults and, and in men. It's much more common than in um, women, but they haven't figured it out yet. It's, but it's amazing stuff. Well, maybe one day that'll happen to one of you and then <laughs> you can all tell your story though. Like Stacy said, we do not support getting yourself struck by lightning and no lawsuits should come our way. <laughs> no, yes. avoid lightning. <laughs> yeah, avoid it at all costs, you know, like go inside, do all that. So now that I'm in middle school myself, I can relate even more to what Lucy went through. And besides loving the story, I can also really appreciate how amazing it is that you included and celebrated a neurodivergent protagonist. So is embracing diverse and inclusive protagonists in your stories important to you? And how do you get into their head and craft such relatable yet unique characters? Yeah, it's, um, I, I find that very interesting to have these these um, neurodivergent characters and, and different characters, characters that think and see the world differently from me. It just, it makes writing interesting and fun and enlightening girl, you know, we, you know, she's, she has OCD with uh, part of her acquired savant syndrome. So the way she's viewing the world through kind of this math lens and also dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder, but then she's got friends who see the world differently. Her one of her best friends is, or becomes her best friend is Levi, who's a photographer and he sees the world just so completely different. And I just think it's super fun to um, write that way and to see like middle school like most of us go through middle school to see middle school from those different perspectives now to get uh, Lucy correct and uh, her OCD correct I did talk to a psychologist and to a parent of a, a child with OCD to, so I don't want to kind of glaze over an, an issue or, or something um, so I do try to do the research and and get it right uh, to make sure that even though she's a made up character that and being realistic to her, um, her needs. My next question for you is a little bit more about Millionaires for the Month. So another thing I really enjoyed about it was seeing a friendship grow 
from two kids who barely even knew each other. They just built such a strong connection, and friendship is one of the major reasons why I love reading Little Grade. It's one of the most prominent and interesting themes, because there's so many different kinds of friendships. So that's what I love about Middle Grade, but what do you love about writing for Middle grade middle graders the most? Um. Well, I very much remember what it was like to be in middle school and not all middle grade necessarily means middle school, but um, I do remember those, you know, sixth, seventh grade years very vividly and the things that stressed me out, the things that were important to me. So um, those memories come back fairly easily and I'm a mom and my kids have gone through middle school too. So to see them um, experience it. So I, I think it's a very emotional time a very true time I'm not downplaying any emotions they're just very raw and very true so I like doing that but part of my favorite um thing about middle grade is that they always end on a happy note I'm not saying they always have a happy ending but there's a at the end there's a place of hope you don't necessarily get that um in young adults and you don't you I don't want to say rarely get that in adult books, but yeah. <laughs> um, middle grade is going to end in a place uh, of hope, which I think is really neat. I recently went to um, a writer, uh, sorry, a book co- a festival, and I was <clears throat> as um, a- an attendee and just listened to other writers. And I ended up at a romance panel. So all the people on the panel were romance writers. And they said, for a romance book, it always has to have a happy ending. They always have to get mm-hmm. together. And I saw this like very cool connection between middle grade and romance. Like we're going to end in both those kind of books in um, great places and places of hope. The really a lot of the relationships are going to work out, or if they ended, they needed to end so characters can move on. Mm-hmm. And I just maybe that's why romance is also right now having a great moment. We we like yeah. that as readers. We like to have those those happy ending and those ending with hope. I think that's um super super cool and that's how I like to spend my time with books it's time for a question about a book that's not necessarily middle grade so my question is about I'm gonna try and right here, right here yeah pointing is hard on zoom um yes. <laughs> so not only does Stacy write fun and meaningful middle grade fiction but I also discovered that she writes and crafts super sweet picture books with the best messages. So one that really struck me is right here, A Small Kindness. And you might not know, but one of my nonprofit and just general being a human being missions is to spread kindness and generosity. And your book really demonstrates the wonderful effects of sharing small kind acts. It's like a butterfly effect, or as like you said in the book, spreading kindness is like a game of tag. So I noticed that the book was published in February of 2021 not long after or even really during the end of the COVID pandemic. So did you write this story during COVID and what prompted you to write it? So I um I wrote it before uh the the pandemic and it, uh, mm. books take quite a quite a while to publish, especially when we're, we're when working with an artist. But it did come out during the pandemic, which was kind of interesting because we talk about spreading kindness and then the word spread became like um, <laughs> <laughs> a bad word. Um, you know, we you think about things that spread spreading germs is bad spreading gossip is bad um but spreading kindness is of course good Mm -hmm. um so yeah it came out during during the pandemic and the original idea for this came from something my husband did with 
my oldest daughter when she was in middle school. So she's going off, going off to middle school and she chose a middle school. That's not our neighborhood school. Mm-hmm. So she didn't know a lot of kids. She knew some that was still like our school district, but um, she had to drive about 30 minutes in and my husband would drive her every morning. And she was nervous about going to this middle school and not knowing people. And my husband's like, just say hello to someone every day. Just start your day by walking, whether you know them or not, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a kid, a student, you know, just go in and say hello. And if that's too much, just smile, you know, just start your day that way. Just start it on this good note and and see what happens. And I just loved that idea. Like we don't have to make huge gestures that sometimes we think to do a good deed, it's going to cost a lot of money or take a lot of time. And that's not necessarily true. We can do little things and they can have a big, big impact. Um, Something I like to tell kids at school visits is way back when in 2013, I came very close to quitting writing. Like I'm not trained to be a writer. I I struggled for a long time um, to get anything published and I came very close to quitting. And that day I was like crying. I'm like, enough, I'm going to go back to engineering. I'm not going to write anymore. And my son's preschool teacher had written, had read something I'd written and she wrote me like an email that afternoon, just said, oh, Stacy, I read this. It was really good. Thanks for sharing. It was like two lines. It took her maybe 30 seconds and she kept me from quitting. Wow. And she might not, I don't even think she knows that. Her name's Donna. That that afternoon, I was very low. I was very upset. I was thinking this was never going to happen for me. And her little email, her little 30 second email made had an impact that that I mean you can think of as changing my life that kept me writing and now nearly 40 books later um I'm still doing this so thank you Donna (laughs) thank you Donna now it's time for some questions that aren't necessarily related to books but I did find them on your website and they're pretty interesting so you I read that you are a Green Bay Packers fan and to put it bluntly as a Seahawks (laughs) fan I am not a very big fan of the Packers so I I read that you're from New York, actually. So what's the story of you becoming or just always being a cheesehead? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's funny because my yeah, my dad is a a Giants fan, my mom and brother are Washington fans. Um I went to school in Buffalo, so I was around Bills fans for four years. I just I felt for the Packers way back when I was in high school, because um, the family was just kind of arguing mm-hmm. and they're like, Stacy, you don't even like football. You don't know anything about football. Who's your favorite team? And I looked down at a list and I'm like, my favorite team is the Green Bay Packers. And I stuck with it. I stuck with it um, for, you know, 30 years. So it was just like a random moment where I had to pick a team and that's who I picked. And I've been um, loyal ever, ever since. Um, and I've been able, I went to one game in um, Green Bay way back in the nineties. The and then I've seen them play on the road, like when they come to Carolina and yeah. um, saw them in Buffalo as well. That's really cool. And I guess this really family arguing can also kind of impact your life in a big way, in a good way, not yeah. in a bad <laughs> arguing way. So I also read that you're a Taylor Swift fan, and Mm -hmm. I'm a fellow Swifty as well, and not just because she's been, like, all around the NFL world, but even before. (laughs) So, 
I'm curious. I mean, I mean, I know that there are a lot of library Swifties out there, teacher Swifties. I'm saying the word so much just makes me like feel like it's like you know, like if you say a word so many times, it doesn't feel like a real word anymore. Yes, <laughs> I feel like that. I mean, Swifty isn't necessarily a real. I mean, I guess. Okay, I'm rambling. Anyway, what is your favorite Taylor Swift song? <laughs> oh, um, I always say Last Kiss is my favorite. I also really like Style, but I get into the new stuff as, as well. You know, I'll yeah. get obsessed with the song for a while. Do you have a favorite song? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think I like Bad Blood. I think that's a good song. Yes, that is. I, yeah, I think it was on like 1989 album. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I know stuff. <laughs> and now it's time for a question that's usually the last question of the interview, but we have a special question coming after. So it's the typical last question of the interview, but it's not today. <laughs> so if you could be or meet any literary character, it could be your favorite author or your favorite book character, who would it be and why? Um. So I've been asked similar questions to this before. And the usual answer I give is like a character I'm writing. Yeah. <laughs> like right now I'm working on a new middle grade novel and the main character's name is Samantha. And I would just love to meet her and help her. I want her to work out some of the problems I've created for her. <laughs> uh, I'd love to sit down with her um, and maybe she could take some of the pressure off me as, as we try to finish this book. So that's one of my silly answers. An even sillier answer um, I was thinking about this is um, a Mother Bruce the Bear by uh, <laughs> um, we went to Alaska this summer and I didn't see a single bear and I'm oh. still disappointed about that so I'm, I've uh, got bear on the brain and I would like to uh, meet especially a, a grumpy yet caring talkative bear I guess he's not really <laughs> talkative but he does have the ability to communicate um, so I, I would go with um mother mother bruce um from ryan ryan higgins books <laughs> that's a great answer and we love i love silly answers as well so it's like the perfect combination yeah <laughs> i know it's like i should come up with a serious like thoughtful uh, make me know. look smart answer but <laughs> i mean you already wrote 40 books so you already <laughs> seem smart enough so you, gotta you, go. have to, you have to add some silly in there so to promote our talk and your newest story Will you share why kids will love your book, The Everest Forever 12? Oh, so um, what I hope they they love is, um, and what I think will will draw them in, is <laughs> kind of the mystery. You know, we're trying to figure out why these kids don't age. Is it a, you know, is it a permanent thing? Is there like, you know, is there a solution? How is Ivy related to them? Like, what is her tie-in? Why does she look like their friend that went missing? So I'm hoping it's the mystery mm. that um, draws them in. And it's it's a duology. So the next one will come out this October called Never 13. And that'll um, answer some of the questions that we don't quite get to in Forever 12. So I think it's the mystery that's... Um, the the most exciting part and the new part for me as well trying to have this um all these loose ends tie yeah. up in a satisfactory um satisfying way well i for one cannot wait for never 13 to come out and i'm sure now everybody knows that forever 12 
is a masterpiece of middle grade. It's it's awesome. And it's also, I love the concept of, I mean, no, I'm not going to say that. That's a spoiler. Don't say spoilers. (laughs) That's literally the opposite of your job, you train. What are you doing? (laughs) I know it's so hard because people be like, what's your favorite scene or what's this? And I'm like, oh, that gives this away. That gives this away. Like I said, having a mystery and not writing um, a a contemporary, traditional contemporary middle grade is is different I'm finding it harder to talk about I feel um a little tongue-tied and a little um absolutely yeah uh, my brain goes in many different uh, directions (laughs) but so I guess the line that you just have to keep saying is you have to read the book to find out what happens yes exactly (laughs) and I love getting the emails from uh readers when after after they read it and want them wanting to, wanting to know some answers that I still can't tell yet. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out soon, young ones. Yes. Soon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, this has been such an awesome talk. I've been a fan of your storytelling since 4th grade, and I'm so happy to be able to hear and share your writing journey, Stacy. Well, so, so, I'm much just thinking for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And I'm just thinking about all the kids that you've made smile through all 40 something of your stories and even just from this interview I'm sure that there are some kids out there who are now about to discover their new favorite author new favorite book so you you kids you adults everybody listening you guys are all amazing you need to keep on reading and by reading I mean reading all of Stacey McAnulty's stories from Millionaires for the Month to the Evers Forever 12. And our picture books are perfect read-alouds for your young ones as well. There's fun, there's fantasy, and there's so much heart in all of Stacy's stories. So once again, this is E-Train. This has been a, such a special interview. I don't know why I'm pointing like this. Um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for watching, everybody. Until next time, stay safe, keep reading, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.